From Nashville, Tennessee, it's the weekly Grace Church Nashville podcast. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at Grace Church Nash and use the hashtag located in the podcast description. And now here's Lyndall Cooler with this week's message. I preached about this many, many years ago, and, and the Holy Spirit just wouldn't let me get off of it. So I need you to lean in for a few minutes. Can you do that? I want to try to give you something that has a lot of teeth. This is not a Christmas encourage you kind of message. It is a purposeful, very foundational, critically important message today. And there's lots of scripture attached to it. I want us to put the, I'm going to have to sit down for a while. So be okay with that too, I hope. Uh, I feel like a, I feel like a school teacher now. It's like, now class, turn in your syllabus. Uh, Let's put, the, let's put Ephesians 3.10 on the screen, and I want us to read it together, okay? I want you to read it together because it's going to be the anchor that we hang everything on. Now, I'm telling you, I need you to take notes. I need you to pay attention because I'm about to address some stuff, and I'm going to get some stuff off my chest, and we're going to clear the air. Is that all right? Are you ready? Read it with me. So that... Through the church, say it again, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Through whom? The church has become a very loose, loose phrase or word that we've used in our society. There are people who don't go to a local assembly because they feel like inside of them is the church. There are those who sit at home on their couch and watch what they call church. But I'm talking about today the ecclesia. I'm talking about the gathering of the believer. The gathering of the believer. We are in a dark moment in the world. Where now you are the enemy of popular culture. Because you call the name of Jesus and you call him Lord. And because you're bound together with brothers and sisters. But the church of Jesus Christ, the gathering of the redeemed is by far the most important group of people in the whole world. We gather each week as a people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus. Everybody say this. I I am redeemed. God took something that didn't have any worth and he made it worth something by his blood. So be careful before you get on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and so forth and you start beating up the church. Be careful when you go to a church where there's church trouble and you pull away and say, I don't need this. Be careful when you detach yourself and pull up your roots from the local assembly because things are not what they seem. First Peter one verse 24, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord 
and I might add, and all his family remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The secular media and all of their powers, the national leaders, presidents, prime ministers, all of them behind behind the scenes and all authorities and all rulers are just a mirage. Luke 16, 15 says, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The gates of hell, the powers of death will prevail against every institution in the world, but not the church. For the creation waits in eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Because the creation itself is going to be set free from its bondage and from decay. And it's going to obtain liberty through the glory of the children of God, the church. Romans 8, 19. For creation, look at it, waits with eager longing. Everybody's got their idea of what the church is and what the sons of God are. And there's all kinds of brands. There are people who are parachurch who call themselves churches. But I want to define church for you real simply. Can I? It's who you're looking at in this room today. Don't call it a church unless somebody gets on your nerves. Don't call it a church unless someone can call you out when you're in sin. Don't call it a church... If you've got a leader that will placate and make you feel good every week, call it a church when the man of God or woman of God stands in the pulpit and preaches the word of God without shame, without shudder, and without backing down. Call it church when you go home and before you can get in your car, you need to get things right with God because something just shook you to the core. Call it the church when you come with a need and we pray and that sickness leaves and that oppression leaves. Call it a church when you bear one another's burden. Call it a church when you care about someone else more than yourself. Creation is not waiting for a new group to form. Creation is not waiting for a new denomination. It says in Romans 8, 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 21, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage and corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. Oh, do you understand you're in such a bigger thing than you think you're in? Do you understand that the creation that God made is waiting on your revelation? The demons of hell don't care how much you go to church. They care when you become the church. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's time to lift up your eyes. You belong to a society that will never cease. You are the apple of God's eye, the eternal church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3.10, so that through the church, 
Not an individual, the church. Not a parachurch ministry, the church. The same ones who have the people who might have hurt your feelings. The same ones who might have disappointed you. I saw a post. I I need to stay off of social media because it makes me mad. I saw a post this week inviting people to post why they are no longer Christ followers or why they've pulled away from the local church. Guess what? There was a lot of posts. And many pastors maybe would sit and look at that and go, now how can we do things differently? How about this? How can we do things biblically? The word is offensive. Jesus' teachings are offensive. It was bad enough to commit adultery, but Jesus said, if you look, uh, you will not inherit. That's what it says. That sweet little pansy Jesus that's been preached all over America is not what you think he is. Nor is his church what you think we are. We are the redeemed. The blood bought. The free people. We are the ones who love the loveless. I went to church and they rejected me. Well, you weren't in a church and you weren't with Christians. We don't reject you no matter what. But if your idea of rejection is agreement... Let's make one thing clear. The scripture will never agree with your sin. It will never comfort you in rebellion. It will never call you righteous when you're living unrighteous. The scripture calls you to a higher place, to a relationship with the Lord, to a place where he's more important than you, where your feelings are not as important as his feelings. See, what makes Grace Church different and maybe smaller is I don't come here every week for you. I come here because my father has been rejected by his people and I come to pour oil on him. I come to minister to him because I figured out something, a little secret. When he's lifted up, he draws all men. When his glory is cared for above the thoughts of people. Well, let me tell you what I think. No, I don't care what you think. I care what he thinks. People say to me, said, well, are sinners welcome here? Of course they are. Uh, Of course they are, no matter what brand they are. But we don't hope that they stay sinners. We hope that they are transformed by the blood of Jesus. That's what our hope is. That through the church, the manifold wisdom. Oh, this is so good. I don't even have words to describe to you, Grace, how magnificent the mission of the church of Jesus Christ worldwide is. I feel completely inept when I sit down and try to put into words how significant the church of Jesus Christ is. 
But I am encouraged by two things. The truth in this text is so wonderful. I pray that it will break into your heart today. And the other thing is that Paul followed this section with a prayer. After he said that through the church, then go down to verse 14, and he asks for help in comprehending the length, the breadth, the height, and the depth of the revelation of Jesus. In chapter 2, Paul has just finished describing how Christ came and broke down the wall between Jews and Gentiles and made into those two people one people by his death on the cross. In chapter 3, verse 1, he's about to offer the prayer that begins in 314. And he breaks off in mid-sentence to describe briefly the essence of his work and how it fits into the mission of the church. Look at Ephesians 3.1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Jesus Christ on the behalf of you Gentiles. Pay attention to what he's saying. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insights into the mystery of Christ. Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit. That is how the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to make men see. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the principalities and the powers in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose which he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and confidence of access through faith in him. Oh my, my. Most of us live our lives totally unaware of how incredible this is. We go through day after day and seldom feel the magnitude and the impact of how big it is, how big of a deal it is to belong to Jesus Christ, the ruler of the universe. We don't take enough time weekly to meditate on how our jobs, our home, our leisure, our involvement in this church, how each of these fits into the church and the significance of it. And because of that, our lives lack the flavor of eternity. Jesus was like that. You couldn't be around him long until you felt there's something peculiar about this man. I've never heard anybody speak like him. Why? Because he carried the aroma aroma of God. 
Every part of his life was a part of a plan. He knew the plan. He made it earnestly. He worked on it earnestly. And the great apostle Paul was like this too. We see him in this text. He saw his life, his little ministry as a part of a bigger plan. And it filled him with seriousness and passion. How long have you gone to church and not taken this serious? How long have you attended a church, joined a church, served with coffee, served with greeters, served the children, and you still look at it as an addition or an option to your life. It's not the core purpose of your life. I'm here to tell you that that kind of church that you just add on is not the church of Jesus Christ. And if you don't understand the impact of what we're doing here, being connected to Christ, being brought in as Gentiles into this formerly exclusive club, and the ramifications of it throughout the world, I'm going to make an indictment that will anger many. The state of our nation, the state of Europe, the state of these formerly Christian nations flies firmly at the feet of the church. When we stopped preaching the truth and we started placating the flesh, when we would rather feel good than change, we forfeited our opportunity, but it's time for you to understand The nations of Europe, the nation of America that were founded, especially America, on these principles, the church of Jesus Christ will not be prevailed on by the enemy. And the Lord is waking us up and shaking us and stirring us. But I'm preaching this today. It's not an easy sermon to preach. It's not a comfort sermon. And it's certainly not a Christmas sermon. It's to tell you, by the way, 11 weeks ago, I lost another filter. (laughs) Do you know, I used to be accepted by a lot of people as the darling worship leader. But the minute I put a mic in my hand and I started preaching the gospel, they didn't like it. Because I called out their fallacy and their error. I have no problem with it because I don't care what you think. I care what he says when I see him. I must hear well done. I must hear well done. My life has a purpose. This church has a purpose. And it's bigger than just this community. People go, oh, we're about community. Wonderful. That's beautiful. But what about the cosmic realities of the church? I'm about to unfold them for you. Are you ready? You got your toes in? Good. The mission, the purpose is stated. The perp- This is huge, guys. The purpose of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is stated in verse 10. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be known. See, the mission of the church is to display, you ready? Before the hosts of heaven, the wisdom of God. Jesus said, you 
are the light of the world. Not a church attender. You're the light. If it's, a, it's, if it's dark, it's time to turn on. But not just that. You're the light of the universe. With a mission of revealing the wisdom of God to supernatural beings. Ooh. Do you understand? Can I just, I'm going to say it. How dumbed down we've all become. Spoon-fed, dumbed-down religion. If you can just get here and get on the coffee team, we're happy. I'm not. I'm happy when you go into your prayer closet and hell trembles. I want to ask you this question. While every worship leader in every church is twirling around rejoicing because their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, how about this question? Do they know you in hell? Are you known in hell? When you pray, does hell shake? Or are they just, oh, he's going to pray all about himself. He's not going to do any kingdom business. He's just going to worry about his sniffles, his cold, his cough, his whatever. He's going to worry about himself. But let me tell you, hell is afraid. When a true saint of God goes into a closet and shuts their door and pulls out the word and starts worshiping God and then digs down into the dirt of, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to pray today? What is the intercession of Christ before the Father going on right now? Reveal it to me. And buddy, when he starts revealing it and you start taking authority in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over every work of the enemy that is going on to stop the move of the church of Jesus Christ. And I plead the blood of Jesus Christ. And I tell the spirit of apathy and tiredness and weariness and affliction to get off of the church. That kind of prayer right there. Now you got demons' attention. They're like, we got a wild one here who actually believes this. We're in trouble. He knows it's true. Mm -hmm. to understand our mission there's some questions we have to answer and I borrowed this from someone years ago so if you feel like you've heard it somewhere you may have who are the principalities and powers who are they number two and exactly what wisdom are we supposed to be making known to them and number three how do we make it known Well, the principalities and powers, principalities and powers. Everybody say principalities and powers. In simplest form, the principality is the plan-making demons, the principal's office of the underworld. Literally, if you translate it literally from Scripture, It says rulers and antichrists. And it's found in two other places in Ephesians. You ready for it? You writing it down? Principalities and powers, rulers and antichrists. In in Ephesians 6, 11, it says put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we are not contending with flesh and blood but against, look there, principalities against powers, powers and antichrists. Against 
world rulers of this present darkness against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Here, these principalities are are completely aligned with the devil. And the most incredible interpretation is these principalities are Satan's hosts. They're not flesh and blood, and they're not merely human. They are supernatural. And they want to see mankind destroyed. That's why we need the armor of the Lord. Before anyone writes this off as mythology, think again. It is real. Or is it? Is there evidence or is it just persuasive mood of secularism in our society that Satan makes demons and spirit world look unpalatable to us? Have all of our modern scientific advances given us a handle on these evil forces in the world? When someone is oppressed by a demon and they're cutting themselves and they're torturing themselves, no amount of preaching is going to deliver them. No amount of worship songs is going to deliver them. The only deliverance they're going to find is when the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus is put up against that spirit and it's demanded that it leave right now. Well, I just lost half of you. It's okay. It's just the opposite, friends. These principalities manage to get a handle on every human invention and institution, and they corrupt it, and they prepare it for destruction. Nuclear power becomes... The basis, it's a wonderful discovery. Nuclear power is a wonderful thing. But then it becomes a source of international pride. Laced with mutual threats of national suicide. We've got it going on right now in Iran and in North Korea. Do you think they're up to give people more lights? And ability to charge their electric vehicles? No, they're bent on destroying Israel and Iran. And they're bent on the destruction of South Korea in North Korea. Is anybody awake? Or are you just watching the news while you yawn? Petroleum has a multi-use. But it becomes the currency of blackmail. Right now you're being blackmailed with the incredible fuel prices you're paying. Not the work of the Lord. Pain relieving drugs become a multi billion dollar market of life destroying narcotics. Is medicine bad? No, it's wonderful. Until it's abused. How many more opioid addicts do we need sitting in the church until we figure out the devil is at work? This is not pharmaceuticals. This is the destruction of mankind by the principal. Is anybody here? Free enterprise degenerates into a money-loving, greed-based exploitation of third world countries. Advances in obstetrical, obstetrician science 
is refined into a better technique of manslaughter through millions of abortions. The institution of the university, which is a wonderful thing, has become confused. A moralless, godless babble. So are you really so advanced here that you can do without biblical doctrine of demons? Paul said these principalities and powers in heavenly places. Where are they? Come on, wake up. Where? The word used in Ephesians 1, 3 where Paul says, God, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. It's also used in Ephesians 1.20 where God says, uh, God raised Christ from the dead and made him to sit at his right hand in heavenly places. Heavenly places is the abode of God. I think that if we ask Paul where it was, he would simply say, not on earth, but far away. Up is where you go when you leave the earth. But it's difficult to try to locate heaven because of all the angelic hosts, both good and evil, the spirits of spatial dimensions and things that we don't fully understand. We could get on a rabbit trail here and probably offend everybody and create some wonderful conspiracies. But I'm not here to preach conspiracies. Paul knew as well as we do, he located the principalities and powers in the heavens. And he's simply saying they're not earthly creatures. They came from afar and they inhabit other dimensions, a dimension similar to God's dimension and holy angels. But while they're but while that is their narrative and their sphere of life, they have great influence on the earth. All the examples I've given you about principalities that manifest themselves in attitudes, inventions, and institutions of society. This is provided by Ephesians 2.1. The same pair of terms, principalities and powers, occurs in verse 2. But is translated in the RSV as the prince of the power of the air. And you he made alive. When you were dead through trespasses and sins that you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work at work in the sons of disobedience. It's all right there in your Bible. Why preachers don't preach it, I don't know. But this text shows us that principalities are at work in the sons of disobedience because they're on the course of this world. So principalities and powers, according to Ephesians 3.10, are supernatural hosts that work with Satan to have an influence on the course of this age. It's people, it's inventions, it's institutions. And these, I want you to understand this today. If you walk out of here, please understand. These are the beings that we, How many are part of the church? We are to demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God. Oh, I'm about to unfold a conspiracy right here. And what are we supposed to make known to them? 
What is this divine wisdom that we're supposed to let them know? The best way to answer this is to see what has in fact been made known to the church. You can't show others what you have never been shown. This third chapter of Ephesians gives us stages in revelation. First, Paul receives a revelation from God, verses 1 through 7. Second, the church receives a revelation from Paul, verses 8 and 9. Third, the church makes known to the principalities the heavenly places. It's all right here. What are we supposed to make known? Look at the three stages. Paul says the mystery that's been made known to me by revelation. What is the mystery? In verse 4, it's called the mystery of Christ. In verse 5, it tells us what sense this mystery is. Verse 6 tells us the content of the secret. It is mysterious according to verse 5 in the sense that it's not made known to men before in the way that it's now being made known to the apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. So the secret mystery is not a secret anymore as of the passages of, that are written out here. The time has come for the secret to be told to the world. What is it? The revealed secret is that Christ Jesus, through the gospel, the Gentiles are now become fellow heirs with Israel. The members of the same body shares of the same promise. In the Old Testament times, Israel was God's chosen people. And he gave to them alone unique benefits, covenants, laws, and worship, and promises. He did say that through Israel, the nations, the Gentiles, would be blessed. Genesis 12, 3. But he did not spell out clearly in what sense or to what degree. And so many in Israel did not catch on to the hints of the Old Testament that God intended to include all nations into the blessing of Israel. So when Christ came to accomplish it, many in Israel rejected him. But it's clear that Christ came for this purpose. Romans 15, 8 and 9. Christ became a servant to the circumcised, the Jew, to show the truthfulness in order to confirm the promises to the patriarchs in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. That's us. This mystery of Christ, the Messiah, contrary to Jewish expectations, comes to save both Jew and Gentile. Bind them into one new people. Black, white, yellow, red. White folks don't have an exclusive on salvation. And black folks don't either. Hear ye, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And he draws us together as one people. Many races, one people. Many tribes, one people. One blood, one name, one baptism, one people. The fact that we segregate on Sundays is our problem. But his word says one people. So if you are a person, that word gets thrown around a lot, racist. But if you truly are a person who feels like your race is supreme, you're way off. There is no supreme race. 
Now, Jew and Gentile, Jew, the original chosen people, and Gentile, that's the rest of us, Duke's mixture, <laughs> are one people. Y'all, you understand that? That means all of us inherit the promises. That's what he's describing as the church. Ephesians 2 spells out the mystery in detail. Ephesians 2.12. I'm giving you a lot of scripture. I hope you like the word. Remember that you were at a time separated from God, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. And strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in this world. But now. Ah! I'll be excited for you. Ah! But now. In Christ Jesus. You who were once afar off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who made us both Jew and Gentile one and has broken down dividing walls of hostility. So the mystery of Christ is that in his, there it is right there. You see it in detail. The mystery of Christ is that in his death on the cross, he purchased not just eternal life for individuals who trust him. He purchased and formed a new people, a church composed of Jews and Gentiles, both heirs of God's promise, both beneficiaries of God's grace. Five of y'all got it. I know this is heavy Sunday morning teaching. It's okay. It's the only shot I get at you. Let me tell you something. When you kiss the face of death, you evaluate things. And you go, you know what? I just can't go to church anymore and just sit on a pew. I got to know why we're here. And the Lord directed me to this message. He said, tell them why they exist. And if they receive it, they receive it. See, I don't think you understand. We're all fighting depression. We're all fighting oppression. We're all fighting spiritual wickedness in high places. Welcome to the soon return of Jesus. It ain't going to get easier from here, friend. It just ain't going to get easier. So you may as well buckle up buttercup and grab a hold of your brothers and sisters in Christ. They are the church. Hang on to them for dear life. Quit church shopping and get one that just offends a fire out of you. Just makes you mad when you walk out of the church. Mad enough to repent. Just get you some people. Now, look at that first revelation. I'm almost finished. The first stage of this revelation Paul receives is of the mystery. The second revelation is... Paul preaches this good news to the nations. The gospel Paul preaches is good news to Gentiles that they can become fellow heirs. Woohoo! According to verse 8 and 9 in verse chapter 3 of Ephesians, he saw his task to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Oh, there's so much more to Jesus than we know. Oh, that our hearts become hungry for more and make sense to all men to see what is the plan of this mystery hidden for the ages 
in God who created all things. When Paul communicates the mystery of Christ to the Gentiles, he puts it in terms of riches of grace. The astounding mystery of gospel proclamation is what Gentiles can have. All these riches through faith in Christ. According to Ephesians 2.7, the reason God rescued us from death and made us alive with Christ is that, look here. In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. (laughs) The astonishing secret of God is that. He sent the Messiah to die for our sins, be raised again, and create a church. So all of you Facebookers and whatever that you're trying to just sit on your couch and call it church, you're missing God's plan. You are clueless, totally clueless. Get your behind off that couch and get yourself connected to a church. Find one that preaches the Bible and dig your heels in. You will get offended occasionally. Somebody won't talk to you. It's called human beings. If we knew what you were going through, we would all talk to you. But because we're human, we've got our own stuff we're wrestling. And sometimes when somebody walks out and doesn't shake your hand, don't get all offended. Go, hey, don't like me over at that church. Well, are you likable? (laughs) It's hard to like people that you have to chase to the parking lot to say hello. (laughs) My mama said, if you want friends, show yourself to be friendly. It's now being made known to us, the Gentiles. And I'm getting to the point. This is going to be, ooh. That through the church, the new unified people, the wisdom of God to powers. What is the wisdom of God? The wisdom it took to start in the Old Testament and devise a plan. God's wisdom. To allow the birth line of Jesus' blood, the bloodline that Jesus came down. I've been spending so much time in Matthew 1. And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm going down through the genealogy. I'm so bored by genealogy. But I think I'm coming alive to something. There's a bunch of people in there you don't recognize their name. But they were a part of the genealogy that brought Christ from an undefiled bloodline. This is a wise plan God had from the very beginning. And mankind has never stopped it. The wisdom of God is virtually the same as the mystery of Christ revealed to Paul. 1 Corinthians 2.7, Paul says, we speak the hidden wisdom of God in a mystery which God foreordained before the ages for our glory. What's God's wisdom by the counsel ordained? Oh, I just keep going. So here's the bottom line, punchline, ready? Final question. We're supposed to let the principalities know the manifold wisdom. How are we going to do that? 
Here we are, the church, and we're supposed to let the principalities know in heavenly places. I don't think Paul means the missions of the church is to inform the satanic host of the purposes of God in sending Christ for the unification and glorification of the church. They all know that too well. They know what God wants. That's why they can oppose him so effectively. What the church is to do, oh my goodness, is to demonstrate God's wisdom, his mysterious plan, the wisdom of a plan seen by the fact that it's actually working. We show the wisdom of God by showing that the church is working. When you get on Facebook and you beat the church up, you're basically saying God is dumb and stupid by putting the local church together. Let me correct you, you heretic, and let me tell you straight up. The church of Jesus Christ, collectively, all over the world, When we come here, whether we feel like it or we don't, whether we're offended, whether we're happy, whether we're sad, during our time of brokenness, during our time of joy, but we refuse to stop fellowshipping together. We refuse to stop being together and praying together because when we do, we show the principalities that are trying to get you off by yourself so they can destroy you. They're trying to get you to feel sorry for yourself so they can destroy you and you have no covering. You have no prayer circle. You have no one around. Oh, me and God can do all things. Oh, baloney. Take that to somebody who'll buy it. I ain't buying it. There are times 10 weeks ago when I was laying in the hospital, I could not pray for myself. I did not save my own life. You did it because I'm connected to you and you cared about me. You did it. I couldn't pray for myself. It's your job, saints, to make sure everybody in this room knows your name, whether they want to or not. Hi, my name is George. I like cheeseburgers. When we going? Is there a small group in my neighborhood? I'm going. I want to be a part. Can I serve somewhere? I'm doing it. Let's go. Instead... In America, we go, you know, I sing so beautifully. I led, I led everything where I was at in the other church. I was the deacon. I was an elder. I was right hand to the pastor. That's beautiful. If we like you, we'll give you a place to serve. If we don't, we won't. But we'll never know. Because you never show. Because you don't understand. That you're part of this local congregation and the congregation in France, all the congregations of the redeemed around the world. When we come together in spite of our differences, we come under the one name, one blood. We come under the creeds and we believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. And we agree on those things and we come together and we shed blood and sweat together. Principalities who are trying to undo us go, wow, they shouldn't get along, but they're making this work. They sure are making God's wisdom known to us. (laughs) 
The death of Christ was not in vain. When we get together, we say to those principalities, his death was not in vain because he's reconciled us not only to God, but he's broken down walls of hostility. Are, are you getting a clue of all the garbage in America right now sent to separate not just the nation, but the body of Christ? Do you see that ugly spirit of racism has reared its head again to try to tear us away from our black, red, white, yellow brothers? Are you seeing that? Are you seeing that that's the principalities at work? And why would you capitulate to it and go on the eternal apology tour? I don't need your apology. When you fell before Jesus and you called him Lord and he redeemed you, he made you my brother and my sister. If it will make you feel better to apologize, then do so. But it sure is not required. And I don't expect you to kneel no matter what race we're talking about. But we're one blood. We're one blood. We're one blood. Our society has done wrong. Our nation has mistreated some people. There have been some horrible travesties in the world. A great travesty is 6.1 million Jews were put in incinerators. That's a horrible thing. People were brought to this nation on boats as slaves. Didn't want to come here. They were forced here. That's a travesty. It's a scar on this nation. But we must, as the people of God, say, hold on just a second. You're my brother. You're my sister. So take me by the hand, together we will work until he comes. There's no foe that can defeat us when we're walking side by side. As long as there is love, we will stand. And that scares the principalities out of their mind. We show the wisdom of God to these powers by living this way. By living like the church Jesus died to create. What this passage is calling us to get our minds on things unseen. Heavenly realities. The worldwide bearing of the course of the age. Do you know you never hit a a target you're not aiming at? And the target for the church is not to build a new building. I'm going to say something's going to offend everybody, okay? I'm doing my best. <laughs> we need to reach out in benevolence even more. We need to care for the poor, the widow, the orphans. The Bible calls this true religion. But I'm going to tell you something I have felt for a long time. I feel like when the one world order fully kicks into gear, the true church of Jesus Christ, <coughs> if we're still here, may have to be going underground again. But the visible church will do all kinds of human deeds to gain favor with the state. See, remember this. It doesn't matter how many poor you feed. Everybody loves it, but when you feed the poor, we should feed the poor. Taking care of widow and orphans is true religion. I'm not belittling it. But no one's ever going to disagree with you when you're doing great things. We're going to take care of Nepalese children. 
There's nothing wrong with that. It should be premium, right? But you bring the name of Jesus up and the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Ghost, you'll see a dividing line. There'll be a disagreement. I believe that the persecuted church of the future will be those who will not bow the message of Christ and one blood to any other ideology of man. We won't bow. So when we fail to live in hope and maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, we send this signal through the galaxies that God's purpose is failing. He was not wise. He was foolish. You see, your gift, your God-given ability to give grace and hold it and strengthen faith may seem small, but it's a part of the eternal revelation of his glory. And it takes on massive proportions because the church is the showcase of God's mercy. And if we don't live as joyful beneficiaries of this mercy... And we fail to maintain the unity of the spirit. We bring a reproach on the wisdom of God to the principalities. And remember, demons need agreement. I refuse to agree with them. I've been in church since I was a little boy. I have been sheep bit multiple times. I've told you before, I'd rather have a wolf bite. Wolf is so much easier. They cut the flesh and you heal up. Sheep bruise you because they're not carnivores. They have those dull teeth and they just gnaw and it can hurt you. It can hurt you. I'll bet you there's no one in this church who hasn't had a hurt inflicted in your life by some Follower of Jesus at some point. Right? But when you refuse to pull away and agree with the principalities that all the church is not worth two cents and you refuse to participate anymore, you're telling all those principalities who are set on your destruction. The blood of Jesus, the redemption of mankind was a bad idea. When you say, I hate the church, you say you hate Jesus' body. When you say, I don't need the church, I'll just take the head. I'll take Jesus, the head of the church, but I don't want his body. Then you're saying that when you stump your toe, there's no hands to grab it. You're saying that when you cut and bleed, there's no hands to suture it up and put salve on it and band-aid it. When you need a hug so desperately that you feel like everyone in the world has abandoned you, if you'll only take Jesus and not his body, you're saying, I won't let human hands hug me. Well, let me tell you something, friend. May not need them today, but there's going to come a time. You're going to need somebody to put an arm around you and say, baby, it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. It may be at the coffin of a loved one when you're standing there and you feel your heart is destroyed because they're gone and you can't imagine your life without them. And some saint of God walks up and holds you and says, they're in a better place. I know you don't understand why, 
But I've gone through this myself. And I'm here if I can help you in any way. You'll never know what that means, friend. What seems senseless to you is huge to other people. Because we're one blood. When you hurt, I hurt. And thereby we prove to these principalities. I say, we just get more in love with each other. And I say, we just tell the devil and his principalities where to go. And I think we just love each other in spite of each other. There's somebody in every church. I remember the boy, as a boy, there was a lady in our church. I, I, I promise you, I think she sucked on lemons and took a bath in prune juice. I'm just pretty sure she did. She was always mad about something. It was always mad. <clears throat> and when you sit down and talk with her, she couldn't tell you what she's mad about. She's just mad. But then God would touch her and she'd get to feeling bad about being so mean and she'd apologize. I'm sorry I've been so mean. And I remember going to my pastor and I said, why in the world do we put up with her? Can we just give her the left foot of fellowship? (laughs) And I remember my pastor said, well, son, how about when you're going through something bad, do we give you the left foot of fellowship? Or do we bury you up? Do we love you anyway? No matter what you do. You know, when my son was out and lost, I loved him just as much as I do now. We're about to have an influx of lost people come. The prodigals are coming home. They're coming home and looking a lot different than when they left. They're going to come worldly wise. But God's going to redeem them anyway. And he's going to restore their life. He's going to even restore their purity. Let us be a house that's proven to those principalities. You're not pulling us apart. Thanks for listening. For more information about Grace Church, you can visit us online at gracechurchnashville.com and find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Grace Church Nash. Hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time.